I keep thinking of that joke. It's probably inappropriate. I don't know. Uh, I saw it on Facebook. Guy walked into a bar. He ordered a Corona and two Hurricanes. And the bartender said, that'll be 2020. Uh, And I thought of how crazy the world is. I think the first one is part of an eye. And it's also a, a beer, maybe. A beer. Did I? I read another joke about that one somewhere. I don't know. And I'm assuming a hurricane is some kind of a, a drink that really hits you hard. I don't know. But anyway, 2020, what a year. I've, I've, I've seen so many crazy things and ideas and thoughts. And we just won't ever forget it. But as fast as things have moved in such a short time, It won't compare to the speed with which things will move when God sets out to judge the world. And that brings us then to the Revelation 19. Because this is, it's it's pretty much over here. Our next part, we won't get there tonight, but if God would be pleased, then we can meet again and come to the next part of the Revelation 19. Christ will return to the earth in glory and power. But here's how it sets up in the Revelation 19, beginning in verse 1. After these things, now, You think of everything that has happened to this point after these things. All that God has done in judging the world. After these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out. Hallelujah. You know. In the original, the emphasis is on the last, Yah, because that's, that's the name of God. Hallelujah. The salvation. I don't know if your translation shows the definite article or not, but it is appropriate and proper to denote the fact, as it is seen in the original text, the, the, the definite article. The salvation and the glory and the power to our God for true and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great prostitute who had corrupted the earth with her sexual immorality and he has avenged the blood of his servants out of her hand now it would seem to me that this first shout comes from the tribulation saints who would have firsthand experience and knowledge of how the false religion, the prostitute who rode on the back of the beast, the Antichrist, how the devil had used false religion to corrupt the earth, then which led to the final false religion of the Antichrist 
who sets himself up as God at the middle of the tribulation. So it would seem to me that the people who lead out in the cry of hallelujah of the great multitude in heaven would be the tribulation saints. Now understand, they are not resurrected yet. There are some tribulation saints still on planet earth who will not die physically and they will enter into the millennial kingdom in their physical bodies. We'll talk about that more as we go along and conclude the book of the Revelation. These would understand better than any how righteous the judgments of God are. A lot of talk is bandied about these days regarding justice. There is no justice really but God's justice. The world is finally coming to the point where the true and righteous judge will issue his judgment, will execute his judgment as true and righteous judgments. One of the main parts is that he, had, he has judged the great prostitute. False religion. There is so much false religion. It says here, she had corrupted the earth with her sexual immorality, such that false religion even came against the servants of God and killed them. And these who are crying out from their souls in heaven, not yet resurrected, would certainly understand exactly what that means. And so they give this first shout of hallelujah. This is how I see it. This means that there will never, ever again in the creation of God be false religion. Never. There will never, ever be deceit and confusion. Never, ever again. It has been judged as wicked and it has been completely destroyed. And so they, they cry out. You may recall, of course, those at the first part of the tribulation who whose souls were seen under the altar. Uh, maybe that was the fifth seal that was broken. And, and they asked the Lord, how long until you avenge us of our blood? To which God replied, rest a little while until all of yours who belong to you are gathered. So this, the, the gathering of all of those who are going to die then of the tribulation saints are there and they shout this hallelujah that God has executed his true and righteous judgments having judged the great prostitute. So the blood of his servants would be the blood of these who are crying out hallelujah in heaven Brought to an end, false religion. It continues. 
And they said a second time, Hallelujah. And her smoke goes up to the ages of the ages. So there's a crescendo in the praise. You see, it's time for praise when God finally brings final destruction upon the world system. Now, let me reiterate the Revelation 17, God judged and brought to an end false religion. The Revelation chapter 18, God judged and brought to an end the godless commercial, economic, cultural, educational, political system. Judged it, destroyed it. All of this is headquartered in a city that in the Revelation is called Babylon. What city it is, I don't know. Is a city renamed Babylon in that day? I don't know. It's, it's difficult for me to think that in those seven years or in the, especially in the first three and a half years, they would rebuild a, or they would build a city, call it Babylon. Whatever, it's a city that headquarters all of the commercial, cultural, educational, political power uh, in the world. And it is destroyed and judged and set on fire. And the Bible says that that fire goes up to the ages of the ages. And what is meant here is that the system itself that was fomented and advanced by the final center of power of the Gentile system is judged and the fire that judges it is the eternal fire of God's judgment. And that fire, the smoke of that fire, of course, everything that is finally judged would include all this that includes the world system, cast into the lake of fire. And that smoke ascends forever. Now joining these saints are the 24 elders whom we've discussed at the first of the revelation as the chief representatives of the church and the four living beings. These are the four cherubim, these awesome angelic creatures with four faces and so forth, fell down and worshiped God, the one sitting on the throne saying, Amen. Hallelujah. So, the shout of hallelujah hits crescendo. And it grows and it swells through the ranks of heaven. So now, in my view, because of the 24 elders, the church joins the tribulation saints. Now, the tribulation saints belong to the final seven-year period designated for Israel. There were Gentiles saved in the Old Testament. There are Gentiles who are saved in the last seven years, along with the truth from the word that all of Israel is saved. Those of Israel who are in the world at that day, the scales will fall off their eyes and they will understand and finally come to Christ. So 
the church and the cherubim join. And you can imagine when the multitude of the church joins the multitude of the tribulation saints, what a mighty shout it is. What a mighty exclamation of hallelujah it is. And a voice from the throne came forth. This is a voice of one of the presence angels saying, praise our God, all his servants and those fearing him, the small and the great. This is a beautiful exclamation because now disembodied Old Testament saints who did not go through that seven year period died somewhere before the church time, not yet resurrected. And all of the ranks of the angels are now called on by this worship leader in the presence of God who cries out and calls for all of God's, all of God's elect creatures, his creation, to join in this praise and in this worship. And he says, the small and the great. One thing that is exposed in a study of the Revelation is how there are different kinds of angels. And some are tremendous and awesome and obviously great and powerful as God created them. And they're different from other angels. And then you have these cherubim and probably the seraphim are a different caste of angels. And, and, and so forth. You have the presence angels and I'm, we could go on and on from there. But this great worship leader, now let me back up here. The original worship leader was Daystar, Morningstar, Daystar. And people, people have in the, in the translation of Greek to Latin and then in traditional translations have called him Lucifer, but that word is not really in the Hebrew. But this is Satan. He was the, he was the original worship leader. And none of God's angels compared to him in glory and wisdom. That's found in Ezekiel 28. There's another, I'm sure equally as great, if not greater here, among the angels, maybe one of the other four cataracts. You see, the day star in his unfallen state was one of five cherubim. There are still four who are unfallen. And they bear up the, the Merkabah chariot throne of the Son of God and make it mobile according to the will of the Holy Spirit as directed by the Son of God. All of that is seen in Ezekiel and in the Revelation. So 
Maybe it's one of those four. Doesn't say other than his voice came forth out from the throne where God is and calls for all of God's elect, mankind and angels, saints and angels, to give praise to God, small and great. That last phrase issues to us a teaching that we all stand before God on equal footing, you see, in our praise, especially, and in our worship. So the rest of heaven here is called out to praise God. And I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, and like the sound of many waters, like the sound of thunders. So here's all of here all of the voices of 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 those who are in heaven saying hallelujah for the lord our god the almighty has reigned his purpose through the centuries and millennia from creation to consummation and now into the time of judgment his purpose is shown to be infallible his will to be sovereign and his justice to be righteous and true. He has reigned even when people didn't realize he was reigning over them. He has reigned. Everything working together for the good of his own has reigned. We should rejoice and should exult and will give the glory to him because the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Let me back up just a second and go here and make one other statement. The, I, I never finished my thought about the reason the definite article is there. There is only one salvation. There is only one to whom glory, from whom glory originates and in whom is all the glory. And there is only one who possesses all the power. Now the Antichrist, the beast, and the dragon who empowered him would try to deceive the world that theirs was the power and that theirs was the way. But of course, it's not. It belongs to God. And so naturally, these tribulation saints would have, would have acknowledged that. Now, here is something very, very special. It's all special because the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. From the Revelation chapter, at the end of the Revelation chapter three, from the Revelation chapter four and verse one, all the way through the rest of the book of the Revelation, the term church is not seen anymore. Here, who was the church, now reemerges in her special role as the bride 
of the Lamb. Because the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. In the, in the tradition of the culture of the biblical writers, this is how couples were married. First, a contract would be drawn up between the one who would be the bridegroom and the one who would be the bride. The one taking the bride, that is the bridegroom, would pay a dowry to possess the bride. And when that contract was enacted and agreed upon and the dowry was agreed upon and finally paid, there was betrothal. This was betrothal. That's in the mind of those in that culture, that's the same thing as being married. But the consummation of the marriage cannot come until the presentation of the bride. So, having forged the contract, the covenant, the son, the bridegroom would immediately go to work. He would work for as long as it took to prepare a place where he could bring his bride so that they could live forever together. And as it was in that day, his father would give of his house and of his land so that their place was in his father's house. Somebody could come by and see this young man and his friends working feverishly, knowing that it was the, the chamber where he and his bride would live. And they would ask the question, when's the big day? His response had to be this. I can't tell you, I don't know, only my father knows. When my father approves this place, when he says this dwelling place is ready and it's appropriate, then he will tell me to go and get my bride. So betrothal was the same thing as marriage, but it had not been consummated yet. Finally, on a wonderful day, the father would come to his son and he would say, everything's ready. Go and get your bride. It was her duty and responsibility to always be ready. Knowing that he could come at any moment. Now it became a tradition in Jesus' day for the bridegroom to go at midnight and his attendants would bear torches and it would be a grand parade 
And this was the presentation. She had to keep herself ready. The bridegroom had provided everything for her. All she had to do was to make sure that with that which she had been given and was provided with, she had to be ready. The shout would come to give her enough time in case she had fallen asleep that night so that she could get up. But everything was ready for her. She would get up and she would be ready when the bridegroom came because she heard the shout from afar, the bridegroom is coming. So he takes his bride. They go back to the marriage chamber, the place that he had built for her. There would be a ceremony and the the marriage would be consummated. And then for quite a lengthy time, all of the family and friends, both sides, bride and bridegroom, would come together and they would enjoy a marriage supper. So the father and the son established a covenant, a contract from before the foundation of the world. And the father of the bride, who is also the father of the son in this case, the father, our heavenly father gave us to the son. He guaranteed to pay whatever it took in this case with his blood. So in this moment, you and I in Christ are betrothed. We are to understand that he is to come. He'll be coming. He is preparing a place for us. And his word is true. As surely as he said he would prepare a place for us in his father's house, he will come again when it's ready and prepared and he will take us to that place. Now that's the rapture of the church, the presentation. Here is an acknowledgement of the truth that the bride had made herself ready. Now how? Well, here it is. Because everything that she is was given to her by the grace of God. Look at it. And it was given to her that she should be clothed in fine, bright, pure linen. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. It was given to us. We have none of our own. It was given to us. Christ has covered us in his righteousness. So with what he has given to us, here it is, she made herself ready. All right. So when we are raptured in those seven years, this is the marriage. Now there's one thing left, and that's the marriage supper. Okay. And he said to me, write, blessed are those who having those having been invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said, these are the true words of God. Now let's keep this in its perspective. I've been telling you that Israel, the old Testament saints and the tribulation saints have not yet been resurrected. 
That was a great debate that has raged through the ages of Christian scholarly studies and reflection. We understand betrothal. We understand presentation. But when is the marriage supper? And will it be in heaven or upon earth? We're at the cusp. We're at the very brink of the establishment of the millennial kingdom here. Christ is going to come with his saints and his angels. You can look down at the rest of the chapter. He comes in power and glory. Destroys the enemy. The last, the last power of the Gentiles to be broken and judged and destroyed is the military power. The economic power is gone. The religious power is gone. The cultural power, educational power, political power. All that's gone. It's been judged. It's done for. The only thing they have left is the fact that they've all gathered at Armageddon. And now instead of fighting each other, they're going to fight Christ. And so that's the last thing to be destroyed. And that's the military power. And the leader taken into captivity, namely the Antichrist and the false prophet. So here, blessed are those having been invited to the marriage supper. Now, John the Baptist makes it clear in the Gospel of John that he is a friend of the bridegroom. He's not part of the bride. He's a friend of the bridegroom. Those who have been invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb who are honored who are honored guests but the but the bride of Christ of course is the special one here with the bridegroom those invited would be old testament saints and tribulation saints now the question is because they're not resurrected until Christ comes on, on down, and we see this in moving into chapter 20. I'll talk about it when I get there. But are, are they to be invited to the great supper in their resurrected, glorified bodies or before? It's a good question. It's a good question. Now, these are things that I often wonder. Are they going to bring us the food or is it going to be a buffet? <laughs> I've, been to, I've been to wedding feasts and I've had it brought to me and I've had the I hope it's a buffet. But that's just me. Now this is the gospel according to Charles. It would seem to me that it would happen right after the resurrection of the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints. So that we all are seated in our glorified bodies and can enjoy to the fullest extent the fellowship and the joy and the wonder of the marriage supper of the Lamb. So next, we're already in betrothal. Next is presentation for the church. 
and then the marriage, and finally, the marriage supper. Blessed are those having been invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Those who lived in a time other than the time of the church, but were so touched and blessed in that special way that in their day, they saw the saving power of Christ and were drawn to it themselves. Those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. What an awesome thing it must have been. At that moment, John the, John the Revelator saw every saint and every angel in God's creation. What did he do? And I fell before his feet to worship him. And he said to me, see that you do not do this. I am a fellow servant with you and of your brothers, holding the testimony of Jesus. Now, that's an angel. An angel holding the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So what is the one thing that God's people have done? I mean, even in a time of, even in, even in heaven where angels are and and it would seem to me that God the Son, who is, of course, He is the agent of creation. God the Father gave to Him the job and responsibility to create. Because we're told in John's Gospel, all things through Him came into existence. And apart from Him, nothing was made that has been made. So in that realm, an unspeakable time, when from our perspective there was nothing and nothing became something by the power of God, it was God the Son. God the Son died for us. God the Son comes for us. God the Son has sent forth His Holy Spirit. God the Son is the one to whom all the saints of all the ages look for their salvation. Something about the rebellion of the angels involved a rebellion against the Son of God. Because the angel says, I'm a fellow servant. And I'm like y'all, I, I hold the testimony of Jesus. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. This is the bottom line for the work of the servants of God. Jesus. Jesus. God in the flesh, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died vicariously on the cross, in the grave for three days, resurrected, has ascended into heaven, 
intercedes for the saints, is coming again for us. The very same one who created us, saved us, keeps us, will come again for us and will ever be with us and we will always be in his presence. This is the testimony of Jesus. Nothing matters to the human race but the testimony of Jesus. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Every line of every prophet, every line of holy writ, everything that was ever done, recorded in the Bible, all points to Jesus. He made us. He saved us. He keeps us. He comes again for us. And we shall always be with him. He said, for where I am, there you shall be also. Ever in the presence of Jesus. Okay, well, we'll stop there. And uh, we'll have our uh, deacon prayer time.